When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everyone. Dan Dockage is back on Monday. Michelle Tafoya here. It's been my pleasure to fill in for Dan this week. Big news. Gerard Mayo is the new coach of the New England Patriots. If you're just waking up this morning and you were still kind of in shock over the Bill Belichick news, well, it, it's just happened like that. And that is the Patriot way. Look inside the house first for your succession. And that's not necessarily what happened with Bill, however, but Anyway, look inside, find someone. And Gerard Mayo is someone that has had this coaching ambiance since he was a young, young player. I think he was named a team captain his second season with the Patriots. That's pretty remarkable. Great rookie year, rookie defensive player of the year in the NFL, and then named a team captain. And a lot of people in the building had nicknamed Gerard Mayo Little Bill because he was in the facility constantly trying to get better, watching film, studying, et cetera, et cetera. All the things that those hardworking gym rats do, he did. And uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of good information about Gerard Mayo that you may or may not know. One of the quotes that he has said is, I, I coach out of love. Remember, he was the linebackers coach for the Patriots. I coach out of love. Once you build that relationship with a guy, you can be tough on the players, he said. But if you don't have that warmth before confidence, it was a little different when I played. Whatever the coach told you to do, you just go out and do it. But this generation is a little bit different. They want to understand the why. I've heard that from countless players in talking to players in production meetings over the years with Sunday and Monday Night Football you could see this sort of evolution of the players and the coaches and this understanding that players, yeah, they might want to run through a brick wall for Gerard Mayo, but they also want to know why they're running through that wall. They want to understand it. They want sort of a macro vision of what they're doing, not just the yes or no, sir. And uh, Mayo understands that he has been hired to replace Bill Belichick. So now it, look, they don't have to go through the process of the Rooney rule. Obviously they, they this has been, this has been the succession plan, it appears. And it wouldn't surprise me if Bill gave his blessing to this succession plan. So Gerard Mayo is in uh, one within 24 hours, because it was about this time yesterday we found out that Belichick was stepping down. Mayo is 37 years old. He will officially be the youngest coach in the NFL, uh, about three weeks to a month younger than Sean McVay. And by the way, stay tuned. There's some really good stuff on Sean McVay we're going to share with you in a, in a few minutes. Um, it was a linebacker of the Patriots from 2008 to 2015. He was a first-round draft pick out of Tennessee. I know that makes someone here very happy. The Patriots, uh, like I said, they can forego now all the processes you have to go through when you're hiring a head coach, where you have to go through the Rooney rule, you have to hire a, or you have to interview a minority. Clearly, they don't have to do that. Gerard's ready to go. He probably has. I mean, his defense got a lot of credit this year uh, for the way that they handled um, 
Allen, Josh Allen and the Bills and and in general. Now, yeah, Patriots didn't have a good season, but they obviously feel there's a future for Gerard Mayo. Interestingly, Gerard left the NFL, worked in, um, I think he worked for Optum Health and he was in the finance department. So he's worked with a lot of people, all kinds of people, men, women, every age range, you name it. And he said, I, that prepares me. That makes me able to work within an organization as big and really corporate as an NFL organization like the Patriots. So uh, Gerard Mayo is the new head coach of the New England Patriots. But let's not get too far away from, from the fact that Bill Belichick, who's considered the greatest NFL coach of all time. Now, Bud Grant, rest his soul, good friend of mine, may have something to say about that. Lombardi may have something to say about that. But you cannot argue with the nine Super Bowl appearances as a head coach and the six wins as a head coach. And yes, everyone's going to say what happened after Brady left, et cetera, et cetera. But let's, let's, if you missed it yesterday, as I did, you weren't able to watch the press conference. There were some good moments from Bill Belichick and from Robert Kraft in this press conference yesterday when he announced that they were parting ways. He gave an opening statement that, yeah, it was pretty Belichickian, but let's let's give it a listen. Here's Bill Belichick. Robert and I, after a you know series of discussions, have uh, mutually uh, agreed to um, part ways. And uh, for me, this is a day of um, you know gratitude and celebration. Um, start with Robert and his family. Um, it's great. So much thanks for the opportunity to to be head coach here for 24 years. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity. Um, received tremendous support. Uh, we had a vision of you know building a winner, building a championship football team here, and uh, that's exceeded exceeded my my wildest dreams um, and expectations. Uh, the amount of success that we were able to achieve together, um, you know, through a lot of hard work and you know the contributions of so many people. Um, so I'm very proud of that, and and um, I always have those those great memories. I'll carry with those those with me the rest of my life. When you hear that kind of reflection that the success exceeded his wildest dreams and they had a vision and they fulfilled it time and time again. It kind of makes you ask yourself, why would you go on and maybe spend, I don't know, another five years somewhere where you're, you're, you're the experience just isn't going to be the same because the future isn't as vast. And what are the odds that you're going to find a generational player like Tom Brady again? So why would you want to go? Why wouldn't you sail off into the sunset? It it reminds me to a certain extent, just a little bit, of when Favre left, unceremoniously left the Green Bay Packers, went to the Jets, and then came to the Minnesota Vikings. I say came to the Minnesota Vikings because I, I live in Minnesota. But there was this idea that, Brett, you've done it all. Why do you need to keep playing? And there is a competitive streak in these people that are so great that is difficult to let go of. And so it, that would probably be the easiest explanation if Belichick goes on to coach somewhere else. Uh, he did address his future. Let's listen to that. And I'll always be a patriot. I look forward to coming back here. Uh, but at this time, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to move on. And um, I look forward, I'm excited for the future. 
um, but always very, very appreciative of the opportunity here, the support here, uh, and you know the what Robert, what you've done for me. Thank you. You know, it's it's interesting. I spent so much time with both of those guys together and separately over the years. And obviously, when you're standing in front of a podium and you're making this grand announcement that you are leaving, that you have had this amazing professional experience with someone, that they've supported you, that those things are true. There, there's no way around it. Robert Kraft built for that team a structure that was so supportive financially and every other way that craft is, you know, some owners are kind of in, in the background craft is not, he's like Jerry Jones in that way. He was like the DeBartolo's in that way in San Francisco. He is hardly in the background. He is, he lives and breathes that organization. His whole family does. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't peachy keen all the time. It never is between an owner and a head coach or a general manager or whatever. But in this moment, I think they were able to reflect and have have gratitude. Um, and Bob Kraft recognizes <laughs> that he may be saying goodbye to the greatest coach of all time. Listen. Coach Belichick will forever be celebrated as a legendary sports icon here in New England and I believe go in as a pro football Hall of Famer on the first ballot. Why? Because he is the greatest coach of all times. And there's no question he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. It just, uh, the question is when? When does he get put on that ballot? Does he continue coaching? What happens? Uh, but yeah, it, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. No question, an icon is a good word for Belichick. Um, you know, I, there are a lot of moments that I've covered in sports, and one specific one that is like a snapshot in my mind is the Super Bowl against Seattle when Marshawn Lynch was running and running and they were at the goal line and everyone thought Pete Carroll would put the ball back in Marshawn Lynch's hand to score the go-ahead touchdown. And instead, Russell Wilson threw a pass, which Malcolm Butler intercepted, and I was behind Belichick in that moment, I was on the sidelines. You're, you're allowed within a certain range, but Belichick had run closer to the goal line. He was on the sideline. And I was, I could see him, I could see the interception. And I just remember Belichick's arms going into the air when he realized that that interception had occurred and they were going to win the Super Bowl. It was, it was quite a moment. But the, those are the iconic visuals that I have of Bill Belichick, uh, among many others. Um, so that is that the end of the era and now the Gerard Mayo era has begun and the question will be how much time will he get he's a young man like we said 37 how patient is Bob Kraft going to be with Mayo what kind of tools will he be given I'm sure he's going to have access to even more than Bill did because the the, it, the more time goes on the more competitive technologically uh, advanced these these teams become these and these structures become and uh he will be given everything he needs uh so the next question is talent quarterback what do they do with this offense what do they add whom do they release all of those things that now Gerard Mayo is very much um the the part of those decisions uh 
So this is going to be interesting. You know, there is one season that's worth just taking a quick second look at with Bill Belichick. Tom Brady is Tom Brady. Remember the season that he injured his knee in the first game, in early minutes of the first game? The guy that came in to replace him and really did a good job for the Patriots that year was Matt Castle. And Matt Castle woke up to the news yesterday, as we all did, of Bill Belichick stepping down and immediately had some thoughts that he shared on social media. Here's a listen to Matt Castle, who played that season in place of Tom Brady. So I woke up this morning. I hear the news just like all of you do, that there's a press conference this afternoon at 12 regarding Coach Belichick's future with the New England Patriots. And it's pretty crazy to think about when his tenure with New England Patriots, the success he's had, the six Super Bowl, nine Super Bowl appearances, the list goes on and on. And um, it speaks to his greatness. And I just feel very lucky and fortunate that I had the opportunity to play for him for four years in New England. I learned more football during that tenure than I had throughout my entire career. He was a master teacher, a master communicator. He pushed you but he pushed you to be the best that you could be. And I'm forever grateful for that. And he's the best to ever do it at the head coaching position. You know, some people in the media might chuckle when Matt Castle says he was the best communicator, because if you've ever sat through a press conference or in our case, in a production meeting, sometimes it was tough to get Bill Belichick to communicate. He didn't want to, he didn't need to. Why would he give you all the information in his brain about an upcoming game an upcoming matchup, a defensive scheme against a particular court. Why would he share that? What was fun in the meetings with Bill Belichick that we had was when either Madden or Collinsworth would get him talking about football history. If you poked back into the, you know, sort of the early days of the NFL, he is an historian and he would tell you all kinds of stories about growing up uh, in this league. And doing the things that he did and and complimenting players and coaches of the past and talking about those kinds of things. Um, you know, I do remember one meeting where he and Chris Collinsworth stood up and he was showing him how to the defensive line should go against the offensive lineman in a particular moment. And that was rather amusing. Uh, so it's going to be a very, very different tone and tenor at one Patriots way in that building with Gerard Mayo. They're just very different people. Um, Bill is a different kind of kind of cat, uh, but the the numbers speak for themselves. And off he goes. Here comes the Gerard Mayo era. So that is kind of a short short lived story. You know, all the speculation about Vrabel. It, it really makes you wonder now where he will wind up because he's he'll get a job. He'll get a head coaching job. I'll be shocked if he does not. Now, the other big news that occurred yesterday was Nick Saban deciding to retire. And it's not just stepping down from one particular job. He is retiring. And he explained why to Reese Davis of ESPN. And it's a it's a you have to admire the way that Nick Saban puts his retirement into perspective. Here he is talking about it yesterday. Why did you decide that this was the right time to retire? Well, I don't think there's any good time, especially when you're a coach, because once you're a coach, you think you're going to be a coach forever. But I actually thought that uh, in hiring coaches, uh, recruiting players, 
uh, that my age started to become a little bit of an issue. People wanted uh, assurances that I would be here for three years, five years, whatever, and that got harder and harder for me to be honest about. And to be honest, this last season uh, was grueling. Uh, it was a real grind uh, for us to come from where we started to where we got to. Uh, took a little, little more out of me than usual. And you know, when people mentioned the health issue, it was really just the grind of, can you do this the way you want to do it? Can you do it the way you've always done it and be able to sustain it and do it for the entire season? And if I couldn't make a commitment to do that in the future, uh, the way I, I think I have to do it, um, I thought maybe this was the right time based on those two sets of circumstances uh, that, um, like I said, there's never a good time. Uh, but I thought maybe this was the right time. So there's no, there's no illness. It's just the grind and the gruel of the season. Yeah, there's no illness. Miss Terry's fine. I'm fine. Um, but it was the can you sustain the season, you know, from just a, a mental grind standpoint. Um, and, I've, you know, when I was young, you know, I could work till 2 in the morning, get up at 6 and be there the next day and be full of energy and go for it. But when you get a little older, that gets a little tougher, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. It's candid. It's frank. It's honest. It's self-aware. It's all of those things that every coach hopes he or she has and, and can hold on to when the time is right. So it's, it's only going to get tougher in college football with NIL and the portal and all of that. We've talked about that this week, that the, 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 the environment, the landscape is just different and it's much more challenging. And yeah, it gets tougher with every year. Um, so that, I just really enjoyed hearing that. And again, at the risk of, of just bringing a, a personal experience into it, John Madden always said that he hoped he would know when the time was right for him to stop broadcasting games. And he had told certain people, hey, you'll tell me, right? If I start to slip, you'll tell me. I need to trust that you'll tell me. And uh, I, I'm not suggesting that anyone told Nick Saban this was the time. But John Madden stepped down. He probably could have done it another three, four years, but he didn't want to do it that way. And I think that's probably true with Nick Saban. When you start to feel like it, it's, it's changing, it's becoming that you can't do it at the level that you want to do that job. Why go on? He's done He's done everything a college coach can possibly do, and then some. You talk about Bill Belichick being the GOAT. Nick Saban uh, is an icon in college football and will forever be viewed that way. And uh, so now, uh, now they watch, and we all watch and see who gets the job at Alabama. What happens there? That's another shoe yet to be dropped, just as what's going to happen to Harbaugh? What's going to happen to Vrabel? Who will take over in Seattle? All of these things. This is the palace intrigue part of the season, but it's also the part of the season when the football gets really, really great. It starts this weekend. We call it now Super Wild Card Weekend. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, we're trying to have a, my, my siblings and I are trying to have a family conference call, but it's got to be everyone's going, no, no, no. We got to watch the games on Sunday. We got to watch the games on Saturday. 
So yes, people organize their lives around these games this weekend. So people in the Midwest who are going to be snowed into oblivion can sit, pop some popcorn and watch some great football. And one of those games will be the, the Detroit Lions and the Los Angeles Rams and the quarterback swap of the century, right? Matt Stafford spent the bulk of his career in Detroit, couldn't have success there, ends up with the Rams, wins a Super Bowl his first season in L.A. Jared Goff gets, you know, handed off to Detroit in what felt like almost an insult at the time. We don't need you in L.A. We want that guy. And by the way, you're going to go replace that guy in Detroit where they don't ever win. Well, they're winning now. And so this there's this question, who got the better of the trade? Well, in the short run, we know the Rams got the better of the trade. They've already won a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. But right now, Detroit, in this new iteration, looks really, really good. And this is going to be a game to watch for, for those reasons, but also to see how Jared Goff rises to this occasion. And can he exact a little revenge against his former team? And when we say revenge, yeah, see, that got the dog riled up. There you go, Jersey. Go find out who's out there. When we say revenge, it's, 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 he was kind of the, the belittled figure in that whole trade. And even Sean McVay here this week has acknowledged it could have been handled better. Take a look at McVay's reflections on how this went down. He said about the trade and getting rid of golf. Could it have been handled better on my end? Absolutely. I'll never run away from that. But the further you get from it, the more you try to grow as a person, as a man, as a leader. He, Goff, deserved better than the way it all went down. I'll acknowledge that. And I think he knows that too. And I'm not afraid to admit those things. But I think we're all better off being able to look back on those things. And I do have more appreciation for him as time goes on. Again, that's Sean McVay talking about the way that whole trade and the, the you know, getting rid of Goff was handled. You got to give it to Sean McVay. He is one who will say, yep, I screwed up. I made a mistake and I'll own it. I'm not afraid to own it. That is so admirable in this day and age when there are so many people who don't want to own their mistakes. But for him to say this, it makes it, it just adds a really interesting layer, uh, a bit of texture, if you will, to this game coming up. To know that McVeigh acknowledges, yeah, we didn't treat Goff very well at that moment. We didn't. And Goff knows it and everyone knows it, right? So this matchup is, I just, I find it to be, it, it might be the one I'm most looking forward to this weekend. Although I'm sure a lot of other people are looking forward to uh, Kansas City, Miami, which will be on Peacock, which is a whole nother story that if you want to watch it, you have to subscribe to the streaming Peacock thingy. There you go. That's another story. And all the Taylor Swift fans are mad because they want to see what she's wearing to cheer on Travis Kelsey. Anyway, there's Sean McVay and Jared Goff. I, I I find that to be just a a really cool thing. And again, it's cool because McVay is not he he is a candid coach. He is a guy that will tell you exactly what's on his mind, and uh, he's a joy to cover. Sean McVay.
So I will watch that one with great interest. He, unlike some others, is beyond ready to raise his hand and say, you know what? I screwed up. Will ESPN do the same thing with this now, this, this Emmy scandal? Have you heard about this? This is interesting. There is a very specific way that sports networks, NBC Sports, CBS, Fox, ESPN, all of them, submit Emmy uh, applications, if you will. You have to submit the tape and you have to submit the name of the nominee. And when it's the case of a show, like let's say, pardon the interruption, or Football Night in America, or Good Morning Football, or whatever, it's generally the people that get nominated are not the announcers. They have their own category. You know, like best host, best play-by-play, best analyst, all of those things. So the people that you nominate when you nominate a show are the producer, the director. Well, ESPN did something here. They nominated some of their talent in the, without naming the talent. Like, I'm I'm probably not going to get it exactly right, but if Kirk Herbstreet was part of a show that they nominated and wanted to win, then they put him as a producer, but they didn't put Kirk Herbstreet. They put Kirk Nelson as a producer, or instead of Samantha Ponder, maybe they put Sam Roberts because they wanted them to get trophies if the show won. And in some cases, those shows won. And so the trophies got sent to ESPN with the names Sam Roberts and Kirk, whatever I said. And then ESPN would take those little plaques off the trophies and replace them with the names of Sam Ponder and Kirk Herbstreet and Lee Corso and whoever else they actually wanted to give the trophies to. So this is a backdoor against the rules way to get Emmys to your talent. Because if if Lee Corso didn't get nominated for another category and you wanted him to win an Emmy for that show, that's how you did it. Now, <laughs> let's see who else got him. Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreit, Chris Fowler, Desmond Howard, Sam Ponder. Front-facing figures on college game day, right? So if college game day wins the Emmy for best live series, for example, it's the the producer and the director and the writers who get the trophies. Well, they figured out a way to get trophies for the talent as well. Now, I don't think the talent was aware of this. I don't know. It doesn't sound like they were. But uh, ESPN was certainly aware of it. And the report claims the on-air talent were not aware of the scheme. ESPN convinced them they had won the awards containing their names. And eventually the National Academy um, ordered ESPN to return a total of 37 ill-gotten trophies, each of which was intended for a behind-the-scenes employee who does not exist. Because as I said, they put in names that weren't real names. Stripped that name off the trophy, put a new one on. Now, here's the thing. And I talked to some people who are extremely well-respected members of the industry and behind-the-scenes members of the industry. And one of them said to me, I'm of two minds about this. Number one, 
Rules are rules. And everyone else played by the rules, ESPN. Why didn't you? Why didn't you just play by the rules? Why did you do this? On the flip side, why doesn't the talent get a trophy when their show wins? Because a show can't overcome bad talent. So in order for a show to win an award like that, like say College Game Day, it's because, yeah, it's really well produced, but you've got great talent. You've got great talent. So why can't you just acknowledge that and say, everyone gets a trophy, you know, be Oprah. Everyone gets a trophy. The front-facing talent made that show great. They get a trophy. So it is, but again, rules are rules. I just find the timing of this kind of tough for the worldwide leader. It's been a tough week between the Pat McAfee show and Norby Williamson getting, let's just say, emasculated publicly. Uh, it's been a tough, it's been a tough couple weeks for ESPN. And uh, we're going to have someone who used to work for ESPN coming and joining us in a couple minutes. And that is Will Kane. You know him, you love him. I'm sure he has an opinion about this. Uh, if only we had learned this story yesterday before Sage Steele had been on. But hey, Will Kane's going to have a lot to say for it. Look, I used to work for ESPN. And even when I worked for CBS Sports long ago, I went to Greece and did a story about the Serbian-Croatian war, the war in Yugoslavia that tore that country apart, and how it impacted their international basketball uh, team and, and the guys that now were playing against each other that used to play on the same team. Anyway, long story short, went to Greece, shot it, did all the interviews, fronted the piece, narrated the piece. The piece won an Emmy. I did not. I didn't even know at the time that that I was eligible or not eligible, but I remember that the piece won an Emmy and I was like, that's really cool. But the the person who delivered the piece got no got no recognition. So you can see both sides of this story. You could see ESPN wanting to give their talent trophies, but rules are rules and it's a bad week for ESPN. And Will Kane's gonna join us and we're gonna discuss all of this with him. I know it's gonna be a lot of fun. Stay tuned, Will Kane is next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Happy to be joined by Will Kane. You know him, you love him. The Will Kane podcast. He's all over the place. Uh, how you doing? Good morning, Michelle. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Did you ever feel like you were part of a show that deserved an Emmy and you should have been part of the Emmy winning, you know, body there? 
no. <laughs> and there's a very specific reason for that. What is that reason? You know, it's um, of course you're referencing this story with ESPN. Yeah, um, we were just talking about it. Fifteen names. You know, first I want to say, Michelle, I, I I'm not I'm not, and I don't know how you feel about this personally, um, because you're in a similar situation to me. You know, I always want to tell the truth, and that is that is my my primary purpose in in being in this line of work in this industry. I also have been someone I do not like talking about prior employers. I just don't like it um, because I have personal relationships. I know a lot of these people and I just kind of consider it bad form. However, I can't allow that sort of um, those sort of manners to get in the way of the primary purpose of being in this industry, which is to tell the truth. Right. And so, you know, I, I generally had an aversion to talking about ESPN. But what I will say to you is a couple of points, and we'll start with the first. I never was really under any um, pretense that I would win a sports Emmy. There may have been a hot minute, Michelle, when I first joined ESPN, and I did work for Outside the Lines and E60, which are two Emmy Award-winning investigative programs and quality programs. Outside the Lines, hosted by Bob Lee, a man I have eminent respect for. Legendary, yep. Um, And I really enjoyed Jeremy Schapp and Andy Tennant and many of the men over there and women at E60. But the minute that I began to share my opinions, which wasn't very far into my tenure at ESPN, and I was walking this weird line where I was doing investigative reporting, but also appearing on first take and giving my opinion, the minute that I shared my opinion, I knew I'm never, ever, ever going to get an Emmy. (laughs) Because you were conservative? Yeah, well, yeah. it's easy to say conservative or liberal because I, that's become such a um, that's become a piece of shorthand for mm-hmm. everyone, everyone as as to types of acceptable opinions. But to me, that whole thing has been scrambled over the last three years since COVID, where it's it's more about like what opinion is acceptable and acceptable is deemed by some some I don't know coalesced group think yeah. that often aligns with left, but in my yeah. mind doesn't always align with left. I mean, I, I don't remember in my childhood the left sort of pretended to be the champion of free speech, and now they're the champion of censorship. Yeah. So you know, it's more less left right, more in crowd group think and out crowd conspiracy theorist. Got it. Well, yeah, I uh, th- that's why I didn't talk. For so long at NBC Sports and everywhere else before that, and uh, so anyway, um, now that I am talking, I, I'm I'm sure that that yeah, they there would be no Emmy in my future, uh, <laughs> but um, okay, so that's I I totally respect that, and the only thing that I have I think in talking about NBC and it pertains to this weekend is how ticked off I am that Al Michaels is not calling a playoff game for NBC and that they yeah. decided not to put him the uh, the legend the one and only on, on one of those games. And I think that was, uh, you know, an embarrassment. Go ahead. By the way, I will talk about ESPN on this front. I'm just telling you that I generally have an aversion, but um, to it, I try not to dive into the personal dramas of who hates who and, and that type of thing. Uh, And I understand everyone's curiosity. I want to ask you about NBC, you know, but I I don't know if I've ever told you, but um, I knew Al just a little bit when I was a kid um, I know his daughter and we vacationed in the same spot. It was Maui, by the way. And, and anybody that watched Fox knows my personal connection to Maui and, and the fires. But early on in my childhood, I would see Al 
around Kanapali in, in, in the whaler. And I emailed him a, a year or two ago and said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I hung out with your daughter, um, Jen, and, and used to see you around the whaler. And he was awesome. He, he responded, but I, Hey, I want to say this because I want to hear your perspective. There's another thing about this ESPN thing. First of all, ESPN is, I think, different than NBC, and and you probably would agree with this. Because it's up in Bristol, Connecticut, it's a really insular little yes. um, community. Yeah. And in some ways, that's good, Michelle. Like, I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day that said, all of this, what you're seeing happen with ESPN right now, with talent fighting talent or talent fighting executives, has a little bit to do with freedom felt by talent not being inside the building. Right. And 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 like when you have to see someone in the cafeteria, like that's what ESPN is like. And you've been yeah, up there. It's like a it's like a college. It's like a small college. They call oh, it. Oh yeah, campus. it's an absolute. It's a campus, and yeah. we all the, the the congregating point is the cafeteria. And just like any place, about noon, everybody shows up to the cafeteria, and you will see them in line. And I'm talking about Jimmy Pataro all the way down to an associate producer. You will see right. everyone in line together. And you get to know each other. And in some ways, it's cool. And in some ways, it creates this like weird clubby atmosphere where yeah. it's very insular. And and that that clubby atmosphere, I think, can become something. And we could even draw out that circle a little bit bigger into sports media in general as a clubby atmosphere yeah. where you you lose sight. And I, I say this humbly, Michelle, and I'm looking for your feedback. You lose sight of why you're here. You're here to tell the truth and entertain an audience. And you're not here to gratify your own ego and accumulate Emmys. And when I look at this thing, I was a little surprised, Michelle, like never lie. But I will say this thing is a little overblown in my mind in that the way that they, the reason that they lied was yeah. to get Herb Street or, or um, uh, Fowler or any of these guys in Emmy that they couldn't get because of the double dipping thing. I don't right. know if you discussed that this morning. Yes, we did. Yeah. So in a way, those guys did deserve a second Emmy for no the question. program at large, yeah. but they couldn't get it because of this role, this rule that you can't double dip. So whoever was in charge of this scheme, like, I don't actually think they had bad motivations. No, but, no, no. But they did a bad thing. Don't <laughs> lie. Don't <laughs> lie. That's where it's pretty simple. So the Emmys are stupid in this way of not allowing this, whatever you want to call it, double dip or whatever. It's ridiculous. Uh, as as I mentioned before you came on, I spoke to someone, I'll just say a Hall of Fame producer um, that, that I know and, and asked for an opinion about this. And it was twofold. On the one hand, rules are rules. Don't break the rules. As you said, don't lie. On the other hand, no producer can overcome bad or mediocre talent. So if you're a producer that produces a great show, it's because of that front-facing talent. And so th 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 that recognition is deserved. So it's uh, maybe this will be a moment that that rectifies that situation within the Emmys. But, you know, I know those trophies are expensive, so they might want to <laughs> cost and not make more of them. How many I, do you have, Michelle? How many do you have? I have four. <laughs> I have zero. Wow. It's not a competition, Will. I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you'd you'd kick my ass in so many other ways. Oh, uh, please. Here, here's a story that I find interesting and could have some future implications. And I and I want to get to you on other news as well. But this one is this one is just it's a little bit disturbing. Uh the International Ice Hockey Federation has banned Israel over security concerns putting them in the same class basically as Russia and Belarus. Um, so there's this tournament 
and they won't let Israel play. Now, <laughs> Israel's not a hotbed of hockey and they're not a powerhouse, <laughs> but you have these international competitions for a reason and they're not letting Israel play. And there are some within the Olympic movement in Israel who think this is anti-Semitism in, in the worst way, uh, disguised as security concerns. What do you think? You know, I was last night at one of my son's soccer games in Dallas, and a friend of mine came up. He's Jewish, and he said, did you hear about the attempted uh, terrorist attack in Argentina? I said, no, I didn't. Well, his older son is on the U.S. under 18 Maccabi, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, Maccabi Games, mm -hmm. yep. um, which I wasn't really very familiar with, Michelle, but that is a um, it's a Jewish games with national representation <laughs> from whatever country of origin you have. And then they have youth youth levels as well, like U18 or whatever it may be. And his right. son was, um, I think, very uh, proudly on the American Jewish soccer team. And I didn't hear the story. I don't know if you did, but there was three terrorists, I believe, Lebanon and Syria arrested in Argentina for trying to bring in a bomb, uh, presumably to go after the the Jewish Federation at the Maccabi, or the whole thing is a Jewish Federation, but uh, yeah. to attack the Maccabi games. Um, so on first glance, and you think about Munich in 1972, at first glance, you yes. think, you think, you know, okay, there, there, there could be security concerns involving an Israeli team. But the key detail is what you said before, the security concerns has been a front cover for excluding teams that you have deemed to be outside of international acceptability. A little bit like my opinions in sports media when it comes to sports Emmys. There's <laughs> something that's acceptable to the international athletic federations, and apparently being Israeli right now is outside of that group think acceptability. And I think your point or your, the detail you share with us is all that you need to know. They use the very same front cover to yeah. boot out Belarus and Russia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's this is um, we have seen this anti-Semitic sort of aura kind of come up out of the dust since October 7th. And it's really disturbing. And there's a story out of San Francisco where teachers in San Francisco, we're not talking about college professors now. We're talking about high school teachers being given access to to resources to instruct their kids that the Jewish response to October 7th and Israeli quote-unquote terrorism has been far worse than Palestinian terrorism. I'm wondering how, this, this is like a, almost a weird sub-civil war in America going on. It's like somehow we have divided ourselves between a, a, a pro-Israel or a pro-Palestinian, I would say pro-Hamas viewpoint. What, what, what is at the root of this? This is, is this the basic critical fill in the blank theory applied to this conflict? Yes, I deeply believe that to be the case. And I, what, you know, when you start digging, Michelle, and you go layer, 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 you get to abstractions or philosophical principles, like you just invoked critical whatever theory, critical race theory, critical queer theory. But underneath the critical theories is a philosophical doctrine that most people arrive at that honestly closes ears. And so I'm always reluctant to get there because the minute you get to the bottom, probably probably the bottom of your, you know, the hole you've dug, you arrive at Marxism. Mm -hmm. And the minute you invoke Marxism, the problem is you've closed ears that, that might've previously been persuadable. Mm -hmm. And the people that already know or agree with you, um, appreciate you getting down to the point. 
But the reason, and, and yet here we go, I venture to explain it this way. Anyway, the reason that it is Marxism is Marxism's basic philosophical goal wasn't necessarily to separate um, you know, individuals by class. That was the implementation of the Soviet Union. It was economic stratification, economic division. But the point is division. Division is the point in order to, as long as you can keep a people divided, you can justify and, and uh, um, accumulate your own power. Because the Soviet Politburo didn't live like everyone else that they were proposing to have some kind of level of equity or equality out there. Right, right. So that's all the illustration you need to understand. The point is some anointed group of individuals will live differently while they control how you live in some harmonic, utopic equity. <laughs> um, and so the point is division, yeah. racial division, gender division, sexual division, and and in order to do the, the to accomplish the division, you have to convince the people there are certain other people keeping you down. Yes. And I and you need me to step in to lift you up, yep. or better yet, to push them down. Hmm. And at, at current teaching right now, white, Western, these are all words and concepts used to identify the oppressor. And Israel, and and I guess. Jews at large, and this always blows all my friends' minds who are Jewish. How did we end up the oppressor, one of the most oppressed groups throughout history? But it doesn't – you can go on and on about the how, but I would reject the premise. I would reject the framework because they have decided you are an oppressor. Yeah. And as such, you as an oppressor, they'll do anything to push you down. And, and the, the real trick is what – in this case, Palestinians or Arab Americans or Arabs at large uh, or Muslims should understand – they're actually not your champion because the goal isn't to lift you up. The goal is to push Jews down and keep everyone divided and on the same level while the anointed class accumulates power. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 so bizarre to me, Will, that we're seeing this in the United States of America, that we're seeing this. And, and, I, and it is reared its head before. It's not like this is new. History does repeat itself. But. Oh my goodness, it's no wonder, it's no wonder, Will Kane, that everyone's looking forward to Super Wild Card Weekend to see what yeah. the Dallas Cowboys are going to do. What are they going to do, Will? What are the S Dallas Cowboys going to do? 16 of the top 100 broadcasts. See, that's what we're reduced to, Cowboys fans. We're reduced to being popular. You know, I actually think that's what Jerry thinks when he goes to bed at night. Well, we got 16 of the top 100 broadcasts in 2023. <laughs> um, America's team defined by ratings. Yeah. Um, what are the Cowboys going to do? Uh, I mean, at, at first, Michelle, I hadn't even mustered that much. Like, well, I, I had devoted a lot of emotional energy to the Texas Longhorns. So I hadn't really emo um, devoted a ton to this weekend because of cockiness, if I'm being real. Like, we cowboys should beat the packers i mean there's just but then as the week went on and my emotional investment started to go up um i started to get nervous about jordan love jordan yeah. love has been incredible the second yeah. half of the season really yeah. good mm -hmm. but even adding that in it would take a massive choke job turnovers by dak uh a defense that fell apart for the cowboys to lose to the packers they should win they're the clearly better team over a large sample size they're incredible at home. Um, and so I guess I've had a little bit of like historical, you know, what do you call that? Like uh, nascent. I have a little nascent insecurity from everything that's ever happened with the Cowboys over time. It's often called PTSD. I don't know. Yeah, you could right. call it that as well. Well, it's interesting because, 
you you said it. The Packers are, are kind of like they've been on this build. And th- this is it's it's always when you play a team, you know, that that matters. And they've looked very good and Jordan Love has looked good. And that is that seems he seems to be lifting all boats in Green Bay. Here's the other question. Let's just get hypothetical for one minute, Will Kane. If Dallas should choke no. and lose, what happens to that coaching staff? And because you got some people out there right now that I'm sure Jerry would love to interview. You know, should that happen? Gonna, let's make this a conversation because I have a suspicion that you know as much or more than I do on any of this and have right. some sources. No, no, no. I have no sources. Okay. All I right. haven't tapped my sources. Let's put it that way. Well, there's a lot of talk in Dallas about that, about interestingly it's just talk like no one actually advocates for it there's i think i think for the informed fan um there is there is an appreciation for mike mccarthy streets three straight 12 win seasons um that's pretty incredible in the nfl yes it is Uh, and that's not as though the division has been a layup i mean the philadelphia eagles have been there right there the entire time right and and but we are tired of losing in the playoffs and you're alluding to the fact that there is sitting there right there, Bill Belichick. Look, I've been a big fan, and who's not, of what Belichick has accomplished. But we, I think two things. You can't separate what Belichick accomplished from Tom Brady. You just can't anymore. Um, that doesn't mean he's not a great coach, but he has done it with Tom Brady. Right. And he is a grind. He is hard to work for and work with. I have friends that played for the Patriots, and they are very devoted to him. They also know it's a hard life. Yes. And I don't know how that life marries the life of Jerry Jones. I really don't, um, Michelle. Like the control freak that is Bill Belichick yeah. versus the owner, meaning this is mine. You yeah. know that is Jerry Jones. I don't know how that would ever work. Mm. So if Mike le- loses, I do think there's a prospect, but I don't know how that adds up to Bill Belichick. I just don't. Okay. I can't see him in Dallas. Can you? What about Jim Harbaugh? B- uh, closer, closer. Okay. Seems more. Um, more open to the the show, the rodeo, you know, or yeah. if you want, like the clown tent that he, ends he, up being the Dallas Cowboys. Well, you know, I, I keep saying it this way about Harbaugh. There, there's no job at which he would blink. You know, he's not going to blink. No matter wh- whose shoes he's asked to fill, he's going to go, okay, yeah, whatever, I'll do it. Uh, he's he's just that, he's built that way. And, uh, but uh, this is all hypothetical. And I'm looking forward to this weekend. And obviously, with your Dallas Cowboys, I know that's going to be the focal point. But is there another game on the docket out there that you are going to be sure not to miss? Well, I like. Um, I'm a little more more of an NFC guy. Um, yeah. You know, and and I like it this way. Like I believe sports. I I um I don't actually like Chip Kelly's proposal for like. Uh, what is it? 64 teams to be the power five conference. I, I, but this is all inevitable, but I like that college football is regional. I liked the Southwest conference, which also shows my age. I like the idea that um, Tim Brando said this to me on the Will Kane show. He said, college football is like my way of life is better than your way of life. You know? And I loved that characterization. Like that is it, so good. Yeah. And it could be small differences. It often is like Texas versus OU a couple hundred miles apart. Right. right. Like, um, but then it could be, you know, LSU, Alabama, two states apart. And so I, I don't know. I love this idea. That's what college football is. And I don't like the monoculture that is the NFL. You know, like everybody, like, honestly, what do I care about? 
I mean, before they joined the NFC, the Seattle Seahawks. I did not care much about right. the Seahawks. Then they joined the NFC, and that's kind of my conference. Um, I watch Fox, not because I work for them, because the Cowboys are on Fox. I rarely ever switched it over to watch the AFC games, maybe if Mah a guy like Mahomes was playing. Sure. Um, so I'm going to focus on the NFC is the point. And I like uh, Rams, uh, Lions, because I like the Jared Goff story. Um, I do, too. Yeah, I, 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 and I also I'm really intrigued with how good the Lions can be. Like I'm a little, I think they're a little overhyped, um, but they're good. The question is how good. Yeah, and and I don't know. I just love redemption stories, and so therefore I like the story of Jared Goff. We talked about Jared Goff earlier in the show, and Sean McVay, and I'm wondering if you saw the comments by McVay about, you know, we we could have handled it better. He deserved to be treated better. Goff did. It, yes, I'll admit that. I will raise my hand and say I was part of that. I screwed it up. If I don't know if you can see that there, but he he basically admitted that that whole trade that Jared Goff was kind of treated like the the in a yeah. lowly fashion, and I agree with that. Now, so far, it's turned out really well for the Rams. They won a Super Bowl immediately with Matt Stafford, uh, but it is nice to see Goff getting some redemption and and having fun again and enjoying a team and having a shot to beat the guys who didn't treat him that well. You know, um, I, again, this I, so I've said this more than once, but I actually had two soccer games and a practice last night. So I was on the sidelines at one of the later yeah, ones. I'm just so glad you're here after all of that. My goodness. <laughs> um, and I, by the way, had to drive from Odessa to Dallas yesterday, about a five-hour drive. But Will, um, you are Superman. <laughs> I had another conversation and this was with a, a friend of mine. It's interesting. He's an immigrant from El Salvador. His son is on the team with my son and we were talking about soccer and he was like, you know, does your son want to be pro like every, every child's dad, you know, thinks this or college even. And I said, look, man, in the end, I know the percentages and, um, and I know what the odds are of pro or even college. So all I want this to be is a metaphor and his English is okay. He's like, I don't know that word. And I go, okay, well, you know, <laughs> I go, it's like an example. Like what we're doing out here is an example for life, right? They're learning leadership. They're learning how to get along with one another. This is what I love about sports. Like I love that it's a practice ground, a training ground yeah. for life. Um, and why did I get into this? I don't remember what your question was or what you said. Well, but... I was. we were talking about other matchups and redemption for Jared Goff. Oh, and, and that's why I gravitate towards a story like Jared Goff because yeah. life is about redemption. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, you want to believe like success. There's a famous, is it Roosevelt quote or something like that? You want to believe there's a parade and you arrive in town and the band's playing, but it's never like that. That doesn't happen. Right. And so the question is what happens along the parade route? You know, there's ups, there's downs, and you got to love it all. And so I just love to see Jared Goff's roller coaster go down and come back up. It's exemplary for people. And by that, I mean, it is an, an example, whether it's a good one or a bad one or indifferent. It's exemplary in the in the no from from the standpoint that this guy could get treated this way, could wind up at one of the lowest, most disrespected franchises in the entire NFL, yeah. and now come back in this way, be smiling on the sidelines, overcome it. I believe a life without adversity is a spoiled life. It is a yes. life with no interest. People without adversity end up very uninteresting and probably probably pretty weak and a little bit depressed because <laughs> no the, doubt. The, the ability to overcome stuff and build scar tissue is is the best stuff of life. The hardest, the toughest, the most difficult. And then when you get over that, 
it's it's triumphant. It's beautiful. It's satisfying. It's it's, yes. it's you learn. And so I think what Jared is going through, and and now it it this so in a, in this small way, as much as I like Sean McVay and all that, I, I am pulling for Jared Goff this weekend. I would like to see him take that additional step. Is that I'm allowed to do that now because I don't cover the NFL anymore. Hey, before we go, Ted, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, out of my own curiosity. So obviously now that you're out of reporting on the sidelines for for NBC, you know, we've all as an audience learned more about you and your opinions and you're and you're free to share those. You know what I'm curious about is and I and I can speak at this from my experience, although I never he- held my opinions. I, uh, that wasn't my job. We had different jobs. And, right. and and to their credit, ESPN said, will share your opinions. Right. Okay. But, you know, Michelle, every day I showed up to do my show. I said to myself, the audience isn't here to hear my political opinion. That's not why they tune in to the Will Kane show on ESPN radio. Now, if it comes in in the course of events of something that's happening in sports, okay. But they're here to talk about sports. And so that was my like, that was my my moral compass. Um, And you respecting your job didn't consider that my job on the sidelines is to tell you this conservative story or give you my point of view on on something. And to me, as much as anything, that's the the disconnect where so many people that hold opposite opinions of me, and maybe I'm curious if you feel the same way, but I've seen sideline reporters who clearly do feel differently than you because they do the job differently. Yes. It's that they did not differentiate between why I'm here and what the audience wants to hear and what I feel is important for me to say. Right. You did. You had many things I'm sure that you felt important to say, mm-hmm. but that's not why you were in that position and that's not what you were supposed to do. And I feel like that was the disconnect. As much as, oh, media's liberal, media's conservative, and it is, yes. um, the actual individual talents as well couldn't separate why I'm here and what the audience wants to hear from me. And so some radio hosts come on, would come on and be like, here's what I think about this quasi sports thing that's political and, and thought that's what the audience should. I don't know wants to, but they thought that's what the audience should hear from me today. It gets back to what you said about the cool kids and their opinions versus the lesser cool kids and their opinions. What is the the flavor of the day that people want to hear? That was never part of my calculus ever. And when I did see it from other reporters, it it made me uncomfortable. It made me go, that's not why you're there. You're not right. there to tell us what to think. You're not there to tell us that we need to normalize this or this view or that view about whatever. That's not your job. Your job is to present the facts. I think that's why a lot of people were very surprised to learn some of my opinions because I never, ever, ever outside of my group that I worked with, let those leak into what I did for a living. Because you did your previous job correctly. I I tried to, I tried to do it the right way, which was just to present the facts, ask the questions, not, you are not the story in that role. You are not the story. You're not it. Your opinions aren't the story. The story is the story. And so, yeah, I, I, I worked very hard at that, although it was, wasn't that tough for me because I I believed so fervently that the players, the game, the incidents on the side, whatever, those were the stories. I was just, I was just telling them. So, uh, yeah, that was easy for me. And uh, so, yeah, maybe that's why people have been surprised. um, Well, but they should be, that's my point. Like, again, I'm different because my points of view were out front, but like, 
Do you think there's a lot, and I don't know what your break structure is, and you probably got to go here in just a minute here and don't at me, but (laughs) you, you, uh, you know, the audience should be surprised when somebody likes you begins to share their opinions and reveals they had a certain point of view because, um, but they're not, my point is the others that do your job, not only it wouldn't be a surprise if they ever let go of that job, we already know. Like I can name the other sideline reporters and I know exactly what their point of view is because they're using it in that job. And so what I'm curious about is, do you think there are a lot of other people like you out there in sports media? Um, I, I wouldn't say and, a lot, but they're there. Yeah, right. They are there. And, and, and do you think it's that they're, this is what I struggle with. See, Michelle, sometimes like, you know, I was out kind of like, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but. I felt a little bit at times like a pioneer, like out on the frontiers. Like I'm taking a lot of arrows out front here. Yes. And I would get notes from people and like, hey, appreciate you saying what I can't say. Yeah. And and I would say, you know, I wish you would say them so I wouldn't be alone. But I have to also go. (laughs) (laughs) But but um, but I also have to respect that's not their job. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm getting at is, do you think people are hiding or they're respecting the nature of their job when they have opinions like you or me? But we never know. You and I don't know. Yeah, I I think it's a combination. I think for the most part, though, it's probably I I mean, there are a lot. Listen, there are so many good broadcasters who understand their role is to tell you about the game or the event that you're watching. But I've had some interesting notes come my way as well from people that I didn't know who shared exactly shared my point of view. And I didn't know it. And someone I worked with long ago at another network said to me, wrote me a, a, a DM or something that said, the work you're doing now is the most important work you've ever done in your life. And the wow. person who sent it to me, I was stunned because I wouldn't have expected that. Right. So that person did a very good job of keeping all of that to him or herself. And, it, you know, so uh, I, I was and then one time I got on an airplane, Will, and um, the flight attendant came and handed me a note. And it was from another flight attendant who said, so happy to have you on board. So love what you're doing with yourself right now. And I. Yeah, I almost started crying on the plane because it's like you said, wish the rest of you would join this sort of coalition of courage that we're trying to build here and help us tell these stories and spread this opinion. And, and you don't have to be alone in this. And honestly, that was the driver for me to leave, Will, because I couldn't say it in my other role. And I right. needed to say it so badly. And I needed I wanted to be part of this solution and, and be courageous for the people that don't want to talk. And don't want yeah. to say things. So uh, honest to God, I left that job voluntarily. I had given my notice three years before I even left. And uh, and and it and it's this freedom to to be authentic that was the driver. It's freedom. So like, so I fight this instinct internally. Like I, I say, hey, I wish you wouldn't hide. But on the other hand, when I listen to your story, and I actually think it's really honorable that you never did let that out while you were in that role because you were respecting your job the reason you were hired and i have and then therefore i look at those that do with the opposite point of view and i go how little respect you have for your job and how much this is about the gratification of your own ego yeah and your audience by the way respect your audience uh there was a great piece on outkick yesterday about hey uh liberals we hear you but do you hear us bobby burak really good i read it really good and I, i i posted it so if you follow me on twitter go read it it's excellent but it's it's true. It's like you know they they really do believe they have almost the, the the moral standing to tell us how to think, and and it 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 sort of drives me crazy. But 
yes, I worked, I did my job as I saw the job needed to be done. And that had nothing to do with me, my story, my background, anything. It had everything to right. do with the games and, and the people uh, playing those games and coaching and all of that. So uh, it was a great privilege. I considered it a privilege to do that. Um, an earned privilege. I'm not going with, you know, Johns Hopkins DEI people here. It was an earned privilege. I earned mm -hmm. that that job. But yeah, it's uh, I, I appreciate you bringing it up, Will. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I, I I follow my curiosity where it is, and I think you're I think you're endlessly fascinating. And I, I you and I could trade stories and curiosities for a long time. So I thought well, let's do it in part on air. But and, and no, I really like what you're doing, Michelle. And I'm glad to, I'm glad to know you. Uh, right back at you, Will. And someone clip that that I'm fascinating to know. I'm endlessly fascinating, please, and just like <laughs> roll that again and again. And also send it to my husband and my kids because they they don't think they don't agree. Uh, Will. <laughs> After all you went through yesterday, your drive from Odessa, all yeah. the soccer, thank you for being here this morning. We appreciate it. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Now I'm going to get on a flight to New York to host Fox and Friends <laughs> for the next two days. <laughs> Go get on that flight. Don't get snowed all right. in. All right. Take care. Thanks. Take care. He is Will Kane. So fun to talk to him always. Uh, the Will Kane podcast. He's going to do Fox and Friends weekends this weekend if he can get into New York. And actually, once he gets there, he might get snowed into New York, which isn't a bad thing. Um, if, if you're surrounded by friends, that was really corny and it meant to be all right. Um, before we go, there's a story that I alluded to in talking with, uh, with, with Will just then about Johns Hopkins university. When you think Johns Hopkins, you often think about the medical school. Um, but like every other higher learning institution, it now has an office of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, uh, oh shoot, I'm not finding it right here. Oh wait, here I, yes, I am. I can say this cause I'm on a, um, I'm on a podcast that has no break structure. So there's a DEI leader at Johns Hopkins happens to be a black woman. And they put out a newsletter as these departments do and it, and you should know, and there she is, the chief diversity officer. I am so against this idea because it is not about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Maybe it is about equity, trying to get the same results for every human, which is impossible. Let me say it again. It is impossible. Life is not fair that way. I would never win a beauty contest against a lot of people. Uh, you know, and uh, and then Will Kane would probably beat me in Jeopardy. So we're all built with different gifts, which is why equity, which is why equitable outcomes are impossible. Equal opportunity is what the United States was built on. Yes, in spite of our stain of slavery, which we have overcome. But seems to me that a lot of people want to revisit it and revisit it and act as though it's still, um, you know, there's the generational trauma. Now that's another badge you can wear, a badge of honor. I have generational trauma. You know who has real generational trauma? Every Jew in the world. Because, you know, they were nearly exterminated. And I use that word purposely. Women have generational trauma. Everyone can find generational trauma if they want to find it. Or, or, and here's what I would encourage people to do, to find hope and tap into what's good in you 
what's strong in you, what's powerful in you, what sets you apart and maximize those talents and use it to your advantage. DEI doesn't want anything to do with that. They just want to, as Will put it so eloquently earlier, to find oppressors and beat them down. So here is what this DEI person said. She called out privileged people and she used privilege as the word of the day. Privilege, she said, is a set of unearned benefits, unearned benefits given to people who are in a specific social group. Privilege operates on personal, interpersonal, cultural, and institutional levels, and it provides advantages and favors to members of the dominant groups at the expense of members of other groups. In the U.S., privilege is granted to people who have membership in one or more of these social groups. Here it is, folks. Whites, able-bodied, heterosexuals, cisgender, males, Christians, middle or owning class. That's that's a term I hadn't heard before. Middle-aged and or English-speaking people. Okay, you fall into one of those categories. Apparently, according to this woman, you are privileged. Now, the backlash was swift and it was strong. And that same woman has come out today and apologized. Here's the thing about apologies. I like to accept them. But you wrote this very intentionally. This was not an offhanded remark that you made on a podcast. You thought this out. And now that you're getting backlash, you're apologizing for something that you clearly thought out very deeply and wrote in a newsletter that went out to all the people at Johns Hopkins who were reading it. But now that there is backlash, you're apologizing profusely, by the way. I shouldn't have written that. The definition was wrong. If 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 you're apologizing that profusely, you must have had some thought going in that eh, this might ruffle some feathers. Maybe I better give this another read or have some look at it and give me their reaction. So this is when you go, you're a really smart person, ma'am. You work at Johns Hopkins. You're no dummy. You've been well-educated. Doesn't mean you're wise. Why in the hell would you write this? And then immediately go, oopsie daisy. I'm sorry. That was a bad idea. But this is where we are. And I, I, I like to believe because of the backlash and because of the opinions that I'm hearing from a lot of people who aren't in these privileged groups. I'm hearing it from people of color. I'm hearing it from women. I'm hearing it from gay people. I'm hearing it from a lot of people that they think this is ridiculous that we have gotten so far afield of what the country was founded on, which is the United States of America, which is all men and women are created equal. All humans are created equal. So what we get is we get equal opportunity at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I know I'm sounding really like, you know, Washingtonian here and really patriotic, because I am, because I am. Because when I look around the world, in spite of this president that we have right now, in spite of the fact that our Secretary of Defense 
orchestrated a lie about his health. In spite of all the crap that's taking place in D.C., I still believe this is the greatest country on earth because I get to sit here and say stuff like this. Because we have people volunteer to protect us. Because we are trying to make amends for the sins of the past. And we've been working very, very hard at that. But certain race hustlers don't want it to happen because that's how they make their money, by keeping the grievances alive. This diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff is crap. And everyone's saying it now. It's real fun to say DEI needs to DIE. We need to get it out. And parents need to stand up for it at schools and all the rest of it. You need to say, enough. My kid has no control over the fact that he is white, he or she is white, that she is able bodied, that she, he is a heterosexual, a male. Yes, I'm raising that person Christian. Yes, we own a home. Yes, their parents are 45. And yes, we grew up speaking English. These are unearned privileges? And that makes us what? Oppressors? Enough. Just enough. Oh, I I just honestly I I this is this is why I left my previous job. I this this stuff has to end. We have to look at each other and accept one another for our differences and find common ground. It's as simple as that. And we got to save this country because it's still the last great hope on earth, which is why Millions and millions of people try to get in here every single day, as much as you try to tell them they're going to be oppressed. So I'm sure I'll get slammed for all of this whole monologue. I'm sure that I will. But as Will Kane just said, you just got to stand and take the arrows and um, and hope that other people will find courage in your words. Ah, okay, it's Friday. That was a great way to end the weekend. I'm going to be watching football all weekend. I hope you are too. And, you know, next week things will be back to normal on Don't Out Me because Dan Dockage will, will be back from his knee issues. In the meantime, thanks for letting me sit in. Thanks for letting me spew. Thanks for all of our guests. And hopefully, hopefully we will do it again. See you later.